0: All right, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we have ushers who would love to get a Bible into your hand. So if you forgot your Bible or didn't bring a Bible, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hand so you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, please grab one of these as our gift to you. Ephesians chapter 2 is going to be this morning. You know, it's, it's pretty common when, when you see somebody's kid and you see them with their parents. It's a, a common thing for us to see the similarities in the child to their parent, right? We'll say things like, wow, he has your eyes. Or, or we'll ask questions like, hey, where did she get her curly hair from? And, and we just see that, those, those traits being passed on from mom and dad down to kids. Or, or maybe some of you, you've got this where you've got a family heirloom. Right, where, where it gets passed down and, and you know what, your great, 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 great grandfather had this and it gets passed down. We've got one in my family. There, there, there's this, this ring that gets passed down from the oldest in each generation gets it. I was the third born son, so I got nothing to pass on to my kids. So sorry, girls. Right. But there's that, that idea where you can pass something on. But there's, there's something that each one of us, even if you don't have an heirloom to pass down, there's something that each of us are passing through the generations, and here's what it is we pass on our behavior. I mean, the sad part of that is we don't always pass on good behavior when we pass it down to our kids. The reality is we also can pass down patterns of sin, or what the, the Bible would call this, this generational sin. And these heart heirlooms that we're passing on to our kids, they affect the way the next generation views church, views God, how our kids view life, how they respond to people around them. And and so all of us come in here this morning and we we each one of us have have somewhat a a bit of a baggage from our, our family life. And some of you here this morning, the baggage you bring with you, it's, it's like carry-on baggage. Like, you're like, no, I can handle this. I can stow it away pretty good. It's not that hard for me to handle this. Some of you, you're like, man, I got way more than carry-on. I'm checking this bag. Like, I, I, can't, I can't deal with this. I, I can't take, it's going to be so, some of you, you come in here this morning and you're like, man, check bag, forget that. I got that sticker on the side that says team lift only, right? overloaded bag here and you're sitting down beside these boxes full of past family baggage hoping someone comes alongside to help you because it's way too heavy to carry on your own. But what I love about God's word is that God's word doesn't candy coat anything. When you read through scripture and and you read about people who we'd even call heroes of the faith And they had some serious family problems. Massive amount of baggage being passed down from generation to generation to generation. Some of the families we read about here, I mean, you'd need Sherpas to carry the amount of baggage they're giving to the next generation. So you start to look for examples of of healthy relationships in the Bible. They can actually be hard to find. It's way easier to find families with a boatload of sin and pain and hurt. And it's so easy to find crazy, messed up families. I mean, you start in Genesis. You start with the very first family. I mean, let's just even skip past them, Adam and Eve, who disastrously sin. And then their firstborn son kills his little brother. That's a pretty broken family. But but even you move past them, you you get to Abraham, the one called by God, the one that God said, you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to be the beginning of this this journey of rescuing our people. And so, so God picks Abraham, chosen by God, but an incredibly broken family life. You see Abraham and you follow along with him in scripture. And what do you see him? He's married to this wife, his wife, Sarah. And Sarah, obviously this this beautiful woman because they come into Egypt. And as they come into Egypt, he gets a little nervous. Abraham gets scared that, hey, if Pharaoh sees you and how beautiful you are, he's gonna kill me because I'm your husband so he can take you to be his wife. So here's what we'll do, Sarah. I'm gonna lie. I'm gonna tell him that you're my sister. What kind of jacked up, like what a a crazy thing. So he comes in easy, he goes, hey. And then Pharaoh goes, wow, she's beautiful. And Abe goes, yeah, it's my sister. She's yours. He saves his own skin. But what do you see? You see Abraham's kids. Genesis 26, you see this sin of lying and and selfish manipulation passed on to his son Isaac. Isaac marries this girl, Rebecca. Again, must be just this beautiful woman because they, they go into, again, into a foreign country. And what's he do? He tells the leader of that country, It's my sister. You can have her. Where did he learn that? Isaac then has his son. They call him Jacob. Guess what Jacob means? It means the deceiver. And Jacob spends his whole life lying and manipulating and deceiving. This pattern of sin passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. You can see other patterns in this this messed up family. Isaac and Rebecca they play favorites with their kids. One favoring the one, Jacob. The other favoring Esau. And this sibling rivalry is formed because dad loves Esau, mom loves Jacob. And they, they start to hate each other as brothers. Jacob then, what's he do? He continues the same favoritism pattern that he learned from his parents and he favors his one son, Joseph. So much so that Joseph's brothers hate him so much. They take him, they're gonna kill him. They decide, hey, let's not kill him, but let's beat him up and sell him to slave traders and let's lie to our dad and say that he was killed by a wild beast and they keep that secret from their dad for 22 years. I mean, that, that's just a quick look at one family in the Bible and really only even just a slice of their brokenness that they're passing down through generations. I mean, there was stealing, there was lying, there was incest, there was murder are you feeling pretty good about your crazy family right now? You're like, man, that's not, my family's actually pretty good. Now, why is the Bible so filled with crazy, dysfunctional families? I think for one thing is because most families are a bit crazy. Most families have some bit of dysfunction in them. Most families have even just a little bit of crazy. And then you're thinking, my family has no crazy in it. You might be the crazy in your family. You just can't see it, Right? We've seen in this series that our our families are what? They're made up of sinful people. And you get two sinful people together that then have kids who are sinful and you create this recipe for a, a sin mess. But I think there's a deeper purpose going on here. When we read through scripture and we see crazy family after crazy family, dysfunction after dysfunction, you see the whole purpose of God's word. The Bible's main theme all the way through is God's gracious plan to redeem broken people, to save people, to make people new, to transform us. God's plan being revealed even in the midst of the brokenness of generational sin, the sin that just keeps getting passed on to the next generation where we're continuing the same patterns of sin that we were taught from our parents and they taught from their parents and scripture steps into it saying, hey, hey!" the whole purpose, God says, my whole purpose plan, my whole rescue mission is to step into that mess to bring hope. The whole purpose of God's word is pointing us to Jesus Christ, pointing us to what we call the gospel, the gospel, the good news that says, yes, you are messed up and broken, more broken, more messed up than you'd ever want anybody to know. But you're also more loved More cared for in Christ and transformed and made new. You're made new. Your broken family can be made new. Your past, the generational sin. God's saying, I can take care of your past and I can change your future. So listen, this morning, if you come in here, you go, man, my family is definitely not the epitome of harmony. Take heart this morning because God specializes in redeeming what's broken. And Jesus enters into our mess, enters into our brokenness so that we can drop the baggage, so we say, I don't need to carry this anymore. I can unlearn those sinful patterns that I've picked up from my families. Why? Because God says, I'm stepping into that to provide hope for your crazy family and not, not hope that's just a temporary fix, not to put a Band-Aid on it, not fake it till you make it, not just, hey, fix the outward stuff that's going on or, or none of that. No, no, there's a real radical transformation that can happen through Jesus Christ where generational sin can be broken. How's that happen? I got two points this morning. Here's the first one. And and, and here's this generational sin. It's gonna begin with me. First point is this change in my crazy family begins with me. It begins with me. If you got your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter two, look at verse 12. It says, remember that you were at, that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Then what's Paul doing here? Paul's writing this letter to this church in Ephesus and he's reminding the church, hey, here's who you were. This is who you were. You were aliens. You were strangers. You didn't belong. In fact, not only did you not belong, you belonged to another kingdom. You played for a different team. In fact, look back at verses one to three of chapter two. It says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, caring of the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He's saying, hey, you once were part of Satan's kingdom. You you weren't just orphans. You were orphaned children of wrath. And because of that, that's why he says in these verses coming up that you have no hope. In verse 12 and 13, because of that, you had no hope whatsoever. I mean, if your family is broken, if you see these patterns where you're seeing what what you've passed on to your kids and you're going, man, I can't believe what I've given them. You you see what your, your parents have passed on to you and you carry that weight of that. You're going, is there any hope here? Listen, without Christ, there is no hope. There's no outside fix. There's no, here's the five, the, the five ways to have a better family. There's no plan to get rid of the crazy in our family. Apart from Jesus Christ, we have no hope. So here we are without hope. But then look at verse 13. It says, but now... I love that. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. With Christ, there's hope. And when you see that word hope there, you now have hope in Christ. It's not, gee, I sure hope winter will end sometime. right? That's kind of that, that I just, gee, I, I hope that my day turns out okay. And we've got this unsureness in that kind of a hope. That's not the hope talked about here in scripture. Well, when when scripture talks about hope, it's an absolute certainty. Now, why is that? Because biblical hope is based on the promises of one who can deliver. Our hope is based on God and he can deliver what he says will happen. If I told you this morning, I grabbed you after the service and said, hey, I heard things are tight for you financially. Hey, In a month, uh, I've got 2 million bucks I'm gonna give you. How much I heard a woo, but really, right? How much hope would you have? Right? You're like, Kai, I've seen the car you drive. You probably won't even have a thousand dollars to spare, right? there's not a lot of hope. You're not gonna change your life based on me saying, hey, in a month, I'll have a couple million bucks for you. It would be foolish for you to go quit your job. It would be foolish for you to put a down payment on a new car or a new home. It would be foolish for you to plan this huge party for when I'm gonna give you this money. Why? Because true hope is based in the promise of the one given. True hope is based in the, the fact that that person can deliver on that promise. In Christ, we have hope. Why? Because God has all the resources, because God can deliver on his promises. So, listen, in the midst of trials, in the midst of the pain of family life, in the midst of the brokenness you may be in right now, we have hope. And although you may not see the answer right now, although in the midst of it right now, you say, I can't see any hope in this, but you know what? God promises hope so I can put my trust in that. That although I can't see it coming, although I don't know how God's gonna work this out, I can rest in him because my hope's in him. And he says that we were far off. We were strangers and he brought us in. But here's why that the hope is so amazing. God didn't just bring in people who were living in another country and say, hey, I can move you over into my country. Look at verse one again of chapter two. It says, you were dead. You were dead. But now in Christ, Jesus, what? You're made alive. You're brought near. So here we are, these broken, messed up, sinful. We don't understand the love of God. We don't have an understanding of who Christ is. So what do we do? We've run away from God. We hide from God. We live in sin and shame. We fake our way through life, hoping, hoping, man, I hope I can find wholeness. And why is that? We've been talking about this all the way through this series because sin has entered in, broken our relationship with God. And right away in the Garden of Eden, what do you see the result? You see the result right away is shame. Adam and Eve, the relationship broken with God because they sin against God. What do they do? The first thing they do is hide. They hide in shame and fear. They hide behind fig leaves. They, they run and hide when they hear God in the garden. And listen, if you understand the gospel, if you understand that yes, you are broken and dead and sinful and messed up, but you understand that God stepped into that and you understand the good news of the gospel that Christ died for that sin, you don't run away from God. You run towards God. You don't hold back and think, man, I got to clean this stuff up before I can show myself to a holy God. No, you come to the cross as you are. In your brokenness, knowing that that's where you find your hope and healing. I mean hope comes when we place our full trust and say God take all of this take everything I'm laying I'm laying my broken family at the cross I'm laying my my prodigal kids at the cross I'm laying my busted up marriage at the cross and I'm giving this to you because my hope is in you I'm not putting my hope in me any longer. I'm not putting my hope in my family. I'm not putting my hope in my stuff. My hope is in Christ. And we spend so much time though, so much effort doing everything we can to take care of this brokenness, this emptiness. But think about it. Think about how big the the, the brokenness is. How much our sin separated us from God. I mean, it's a grand canyon of sin between us and God. And we think, well, how do I take care of that? Maybe you've tried religion. I'll tell you what, I'll just clean my life up a little bit. I'll go to church sometimes. I'll do good things. And listen, that may get you. You may have a longer jump than the train wreck of a person you know who's totally jacked up and wants nothing to do with God, but you're so religious, you get an extra 10 feet on your leap. Where do you both end up when you're trying to jump the Grand Canyon? You might be 10 feet further, but you're still on the floor of the canyon dead, right? Religion doesn't help. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll use people, I'll, I'll put my hope in, in my family, I'll put my hope in my marriage, I'll put my hope in. And we grab a hold of all of these things to try to satisfy our frustration, our unhappiness. We grab our spouse and our kids, we grab our family for hope, and it ends up again, what, with us on the canyon floor. And oftentimes when we grab these other things, these other people, they come down to the floor with us. It's so important for us to understand this. Listen, there's not enough romance in the universe to satisfy your soul. There's not enough love from your kids or your spouse or your parents to satisfy this canyon of separation in our souls. It's a lie that says, I can make myself happy. I can be satisfied in myself. It's a lie that says, oh, I wouldn't be so broken if only I had this. If only I could grab a hold of this. If only this was okay. And we're searching for hope where there is no hope. The only thing that we have that'll ever bring eternal hope and eternal joy is Jesus Christ. And listen, listen, in the gospel, he took care of that grand canyon of separation of sin between us and God. Christ in the flesh, God in flesh, Christ, the son of God comes and he lives this perfect life. The life that we should have lived to be able to, to not be separated from God. We couldn't do it. He lived that perfect life. He dies in our place the death that we should have died, and then doesn't stay dead. No, he conquers sin and death and he raises from the dead so that, listen, so that at the cross of Christ, God isn't just winking at our sin, right? Justice is served. He doesn't just go, ah, don't worry about it. No, his wrath is poured out on Christ in our place. Jesus absorbs all the wrath of our rebellion. And at the resurrection, he says, here, here, instead of the rebellion and sin, I give you my righteousness. And so we come to the cross for hope. Today, again, I come to the cross for hope. I bring my brokenness. I bring my sin. I bring my heartache. And no matter how you came in here this morning, no matter how broken and messed up you might feel, no matter how much sin you brought in with you this morning, none of it shocks God. God wasn't in here and see you come in and go, whoa, I can't believe how broken they are. No, every time you see the cross, you recognize God's not surprised by my sin. God's not surprised by the sin done to me or the sin I've done because the cross shows me. That no matter how broken and screwed up my family is, He knows. He knows I'm not perfect. He knows your family's not perfect. But He's given you what is perfect Jesus Christ and His righteousness. I mean, for, for those who believe, for those who've put their hope and their trust, for those who treasure Christ, there is forgiveness. And, and right now, if you've placed your life in Christ, that forgiveness means that God delights in you. That, that, that God showers his blessing on you. That, that God cheers for you. And that delight, that cheering, that excitement God has for you, it's not based on anything that you do. It's based on Christ. It's not based on you or your family or your past or your achievements or your failures. Listen, that's the most freeing truth in the universe that what went wrong between us and God is now made right in Christ. And so, based on that reality, you, if if Christ is who your hope is in, if you're a follower of Christ, that you now are a son or a daughter of the creator and the king of the universe. And listen, that's a reality. A reality for eternity. And right now, in the in the here and now, he's making that more and more a reality. That you're living out of that truth. Now is marriage still tough? Yeah, marriage is still hard. I mean, do Libby and I fight? Yeah, we fight. Libby's wrong a lot, right? So there's still fight. I'm just kidding. Raising kids is still tough. Dealing with past baggage is still hard. But listen, if you know Christ, God's changing you. He's transforming you right now. He's working on you. And listen, because of the gospel, because of this truth, you don't have to pass on generational sin. You don't have to pass on that pattern of sin that you learned from your parents and they learned from their parents. Listen, the cycle can stop. It can stop right here and right now. This can be the last generation in your family that that cycle is passed on because Jesus is making all things new. And listen, it begins with you as you embrace the gospel, as you embrace the truth that, yes, I'm broken, but I've been healed. Yes, sinful, but forgiven. Dead, but made alive. And now listen, with that truth, living out of our lives, there's hope and healing for our families. You know, in Matthew's account of Jesus' life, it was in Matthew 19, there's this rich young ruler that comes to Jesus. He's a pretty powerful guy. He's got lots of money. He says, hey, what does it take for me to become one of your followers? And Jesus turned to him and he said, you gotta sell everything you got. And this guy goes away. It says he goes away sad. He goes away discouraged. He goes away downcast. Why? Because he didn't want to give it up. He's like, I, that's too much. That's too high of a call. And so he walks away. He couldn't let go of these. Can you just see him walking away just so downcast as he clings to these things? He says, these, these don't give me hope, but I can't get rid of them. I, I want to follow Christ, but I got... And he walks away. And it, it's in that moment where Jesus says this. He says, you got to give it all up. That, that Peter like Peter normally does, first one to speak, right? And Peter, he pipes up, he goes, hey, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, like, like, we're cool, right? Because we've given it all up. We've left everything for you, so, so we're good, right? I mean, that's a hard call, it's, t- it's too bad for him, but, but we've, we've, we've quit our jobs, we gave it all up to follow you, and Jesus says to his disciples, he says, listen, it's more than just your stuff. He says, you need to get rid of your family too. So, so our, our first solution for busted up, broken, crazy families, it begins with us embracing the gospel. It seems here, here's, my, here's the second solution I see from scripture. Jesus says, get rid of your family. You're like, yeah, my family's nut bar. That's a great solution. I'll take that one. No, but what's he really saying though? He, he's saying, we've been talking about all through this series. He's saying, listen, your identity, Peter, your identity disciples is not in the horizontal. In that culture, your family was everything. To say that you're gonna leave your family behind, you leave everything. You leave your identity, you leave who you are. And he's saying, listen, that's not who you are. Get rid of that identity. You find your identity in me, Christ says. I mean, this is so important. If you find yourself trapped in generational sin, you're hearing what Christ is saying here, you are no longer identified by that brokenness. You're no longer identified by that broken family. I mean, there's some of you here that that you carry a family name that you just know in in a small town like we live in that even your name carries something with it, doesn't it? And Jesus says, that's not your identity any longer. Your, Your identity goes deeper than that. Your identity goes deeper than your wounds. Your identity now is in Christ. You're an accepted child of God. That that Jesus speaks another word over you. That that Jesus died to conquer death, to conquer sin, to conquer evil. So that sin that you've done, even that sin that has been done to you, that's not the end of your story. And Jesus says, leave it all. Leave all of that. You have a new identity now. And he goes on. He says to his disciples, he says, those who have left brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and children, he says, in following me, you'll receive back a hundred times as much. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, you're not losing a family. You're actually gaining a new family. In Christ, our our family changes you. You now have a new identity and you have a new family. Now, now, who is he talking about here? Who's this new family that Jesus is saying? You get an even bigger, greater family. Here's it is. It's you. The church is the family. So, so I, I, I'm the first change in my family. Here's the second thing. I have a new family in Christ. I have this new family in Christ. And this is what Paul's laying out for us in Ephesians here. He, he, he goes from telling us in chapter two in the, in the first 10 verses, he's saying, here's who you are, here's who you are in Christ. Here's what happened to you. You've been made new, you've, you've been made new. And why is he saying, oh, this Says you've been made new to become part of a family. You're not just personally changed. You become a member of a family so so that your your broken family, it's no longer your identity. Your identity is now in Christ. You've been transformed and those sinful patterns of of your biological earthly family, you can put those off as you put on Christ and enter into the new family of Christ. To to recognize that Jesus didn't just save us all, so we go all out and scatter around as individual Christians. He saved us to create a new family. In fact, look at the first word in in verse 11 of chapter 2. He goes on for, for 10 verses saying, here's who you are in Christ, here's what happened. Verse 11, therefore, so he's continuing a thought. It's not like Paul spends all those verses saying, here's who you are in Christ. Boy, now what can I talk about? I'll talk about the church. That's what I'll talk about. No, he goes, therefore, because of this, you have this new life and it's connected. God God creates a new life in you and and he then brings all of us together, this diverse group of people, people who were once lost people, but now found once dead, but now alive. He brings them together into one body, a new group called the church so that we can experience wholeness and healing. We can experience this newness of the gospel. You can find a family maybe where you've lost yours. I mean, look at verse 19, what it says about church. It says, so you, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're now fellow citizens with God's people. I mean, how intense is that? You're, you're now a citizen of heaven. So, so it's no longer, oh, I'm from Muskoka. No, no, actually, the heaven's my home. So you're no longer your, your, where you're from. You're no, you're no longer primarily Canadian. You're, not, you're no longer primarily your, your ethnicity. No, what do you are? You've been changed out of all of those other groups and identities as who you are. And now you are citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, it goes even further than that. It says fellow citizens with the saints. And listen, members of the household of God. I mean, if Christ is your treasure, if you're a, a Christ follower, you're a part of God's family. He's not just God, the king. He's not just God, the creator of the universe. You know, no, no, he's also my dad. I mean, that changes everything. You have a new family. And so what does that mean? It means the church just isn't a social club. It's not just a religious thing we, we take part in. It's not just some place we go to on Sunday mornings. No, you're part of a family now. I mean, think about how this changes things. It means that those things that used to define you, those those generational sin that used to define who you are, it's no longer who you are. And now it's been transformed in this new family. What's this new family look like? Well, Well, think about the family we were walking through in Genesis with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Man, it was just full of lies. Wasn't it just one lie into another generation of lies, another generation of lies? Listen, my new family is full of truth. My new family is full of truth. I mean, verse 1 of chapter 2 says that we're dead. Verse 12 and 13 says we're separated. We're enemies of God. I mean, Paul's laying out some truth here, right? He's saying, hey, this is what's going on. No lies, no cover-ups, no faking it, no avoiding it. And it can be, it can be hard sometimes. Isn't it uncomfortable when you're with people who speak truth? It's uncomfortable, but it's so life-giving. In the family of God, there can be truth. I love the culture of our church that people aren't afraid of speaking the truth into my life. People aren't afraid of speaking the truth into your life. It's a a church where you don't need to hide. You don't need to fake it as you come. here. You don't need to to hide. Listen, Listen, I, I know the most horrible truths about some people here. Some people here know the most horrible truths about me because our hearts are laid bare before each other. A gospel-driven family is okay with truth because you realize that that hiding is what got you into this mess in the first place. Faking is what got you here. It's what perpetuated that generational sin. And and so you want people to step into your life and say, this has to stop. This idol needs to go. So a gospel-driven family, we're okay with sin being exposed. And not just generalities of sin, but, but we're okay being in a small group where, where we're able to say, here's the ugliness of my heart. We're okay with stepping into biblical soul care and, and ha- having a, a counselor and an advocate begin to press into our hearts and, and it hurts. Listen, surgery's never comfortable. Especially sin that's been hidden for so long. We've gotten so good at wearing the masks, they've almost become completely fixed to our face and and it's hard to peel those off. We become so good in Christian world at even confessing sin enough that it looks like we're humble, right? If I just confess this much, if I just am general enough about it, I'm going to look really humble and I'm going to look very open. And then Jesus steps in and he throws like this grenade of the gospel into the middle of that, and our hearts are exploded all over the room. We're like, here it all is. We speak truth, but listen, we don't just speak the truth about sin. We don't just lovingly press in to say this sin has to go. If it's gospel driven, we also speak openly and loudly and excitedly about the hope of the gospel. That that's not where you have to be, that it doesn't have to end there, that sin doesn't have to define you. You're no longer your sin. You're no longer defined by your anger, you're no longer defined by your addictions. You're no longer defined by your sexual sin. You're no longer defined by your lies. You're, you're no longer defined by your manipulation, by your worry and anxiety, your greed. You're not defined by the sin that's been done to you the abuse, the hurt, the bullying. You were lost and dead, but you've been brought near by the blood of Christ, it says. And we so want to speak that truth into each other's lives. I love that word in verse 13, the, the idea of you've been brought near. My, my family then, my new family is a family full of truth. Here, here's the second part of that. My, my new family is a, a family full of closeness. We've been brought near, we're no longer strangers. Look at verse 18. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. I love that. We, we have access to God. I mean, how, how cool is that? that? That we actually can go into the throne room. I was at this, this Christian conference and there were, there were thousands of people there and there were a bunch of people who were kind of the, 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 the movers and shakers, the uppity-ups, the big dudes, right? And they all had these, these tags on them and they were what, backstage passes, right? That, it means they had access to go wherever they wanted to go. And I didn't have one of those. I was just a schmuck at a conference, right? And, but what happened is I knew one of the keynote speakers. And he, saw, he goes, hey, Kai. Hey, come on back, man, come on, come on back here. Into, they call it the green room, right? Like this whole idea of Christian celebrities. I, I, I mean, the top Christian celebrity, you're like four steps behind Scott Baio still, right? Like, I don't know, there really isn't anyway, but it was still cool, right? You get to go into the back and, and there were these bands playing. I mean, I had their CDs. I'd listened to them before. And it was just like kind of cool. Like, Hey, come on, let me introduce you to these guys. And, right. And, and how did I have access? It wasn't anything I did, what? It's who I knew, right? Listen, you have access to the king of the universe, to the the creator of everything we see, to God, the Holy One. You have access. Why? Not because of who you are, not because of what you've done or haven't done. You have access because of who knows you. Christ knows you. If you've given your life to Christ, you have access because you're his child now. You didn't know God. You may have knew about him, but now he knows you as a son or a daughter. I mean, this is the closeness God creates with us. This is the closeness God creates in our families. Abraham's family completely divided. Jacob and Esau estranged for most of their lives. Joseph separated from his father for decades. But look again at verse 19. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We're being built in this this family together and in this temple that God dwells in and his manifest glory shows up and and you're being built together as this church. Not not a building. This is just a high school. There's there's nothing special about this building. But what is it that when people walk in, you hear testimony after testimony of, I came into this place I'd never been before and I couldn't stop crying. There was something happening there. Listen, kids aren't doing that when they come in here on Monday morning. But there's something about us gathered together. God says, Listen, when you are gathered together, united together, what? Joined together by Christ. Talk about a mortar that'll hold us together, right? Not not scattered, not just rocks laying around. There's nothing to dwell in with a bunch of rocks and stones laying on the ground. No, it takes the mason to take those and build those up like God's doing, building his family together with Christ, uniting us in his spirit. And so maybe your earthly family was, cold and distant. Maybe there wasn't a lot of love that you grew up with. And Jesus says, here's your new family, built together, cemented together in Christ. Now listen, I'm not saying that our church is perfect. We're a, we're a bit of a crazy family as a church, right? We're a, a messed up church. You're being led by a messed up pastor. And yet, yet, how many by show of hands could say, I've experienced my church as my family. I've been in so much trouble and I've been hurt and my, my family's come alongside me, amen. God's presence is so amazing when when you look around at what he creates, that there's nothing really about us that would bring us together. There's no, no real affinity. It's not like we all have the same hobby or it's not like we're all in the same generation. It's not like we all have the same backgrounds. And yet because of God's spirit, united together as this family, not just hanging out, but doing life together, finding hope and healing, in fact, lastly, I would say this. My, my new family, it's, it's full of truth. It's full of closeness. My new family is full of forgiveness. I mean, think about where that healing comes from. I mean, how, how does God do this? How does he bring us together as messed up as we are? How does he bring messed up people from different walks of life together? How does he break down these barriers between us? Look at verse 14. For he himself, talking about Christ, is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility? God breaks down the hostility. God takes care of that grand canyon of hostility and sin. Why? Because of Christ. Look at verse 16. He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus took the hostility on himself. That's the reality of our new family. A family full of truth, a family that is so intimate and close, a family that's been reconciled by the forgiveness of God. So what do we do with all of this? How do we walk this out? How does this change the generations in my own family? How does this change moving forward in my family? Next Sunday, we're gonna walk out some more of the implications of this, but for now, starting with this foundation of the gospel, I've got a couple questions I'm gonna end with. Here's the first question. What generational sins have been passed down to you? I mean, how have you learned to sin? What does your family teach you about how to handle money? What did your family teach you about sex? What did your family teach you about anger? What did your family teach you about conflict? What did your family teach you about how you deal with people around you? What what's been passed down to you to actually think about that? What are those sins that you you can recognize them? You can say, man, I learned this. Here's the second question. What sin patterns are you passing now onto your kids or your grandkids? What patterns am I passing down? What what sin am I hiding? What sin am I embracing? What, what, What sinful patterns do I just see myself repeating into my kids, into my grandkids? Or another way to ask that is what godly patterns are you passing down? How are you seeing the the generational sins being broken as you're passing the gospel onto your kids and your grandkids, as you're teaching them to take their life and put their hope in the cross of Christ? How are you breaking generational sin? I would say this, how do we do that? how do we get, begin to break this generational sin? It's gonna start here. It's gonna start with prayer. It's gonna start with taking that to the Lord. In fact, I would say this, take it to God before you bring it to your small group. Take it to God before you bring it to a good counselor. Take it to God before you come to a pastor. It has to start there where you, you take advantage of what God says, come to me and lay your heart before me. How, how many Sundays do we say at the end of every service? Hey, If you need prayer, there are people up here. Man. Take advantage of that. Look at what the power of God can do as your heart is laid bare before him, as you humbly just lay it out and go, Lord, I'm just giving it to you. Pray about it. Then after you've prayed but I would say this, what do I do with it? Pray about it, then talk about it. If there's generational sin, if there's things that you know you're passing on, talk about it, talk about it in your small groups. Talk about it with your pastor. Talk about it to your family. Teach your kids by showing them, hey, hey, this is what's going on, but here's how we seek the cross. Talk about your past. Look into your past. Go, man, why am I doing this? Why was my dad this way? And you might begin to discover, man, look at the hurt that was in his life or the hurt that was in my mom's life. Now I'm starting to understand why this stuff's been passed down to me and begin to see the history that needs to be laid down at the cross. What do I mean by laying it down? I mean, I mean you're no longer holding on to. It. You're no longer passing it on. You're laying it down. And what does that look like? It means, I mean, I'm not doing those same things again. I'm bringing it to the cross. Here's what it doesn't look like, though. Okay? It's not out of fear. It's it's not this idea of, oh man, my dad was so abusive and angry that I I'm just going to become completely permissive with my kids. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discipline them at all. I'm not because I don't want to be. That's 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 fearful, right? You're just passing on more generational sin. No, bring that to the cross and lay it down and say, Lord, would you take this? Would you teach me what it is to really raise my kids in the gospel and trust God? As the worship team comes up this morning, here's my hope for us, that we remember who we are in Christ, that our roots would sink even deeper into the reality of God's ever faithful love. In fact, let, let me do this. Would you all stand with me this morning? Here's, here's what I'd like you to do. As you're standing there, if you, if you bow your head and close your eyes, and, and just as a way to concentrate, as a way to not be distracted. I mean, this morning, your family history might be broken. I mean, you may have had a mom or a dad that was intimidating, that was controlling, that was damaging, that was abusive. You may have had parents who were, who were unaware, unapproachable, unavailable. Maybe you grew up without a mom or a dad. They were, they were completely absent, and, and, and you see this pattern, and you wonder, is this who I am? Is this what I'm passing down to my kids? Listen, this morning there's something that you can put your hope fully in. That every person here, listen as, as, as intently as you can right now, there is a certainty, there is a true hope that if you're in Christ, that God's, God's enduring, his, his unimpeachable, his unqualified, his unconditional, his never stopping love for his children is your reality. I mean, that's your reality. It's not your mom. It's not your dad. It's not your past. It's it's not your regrets. This is your reality. God's love through Christ for you. I mean, that's our hope. And that's our hope that'll never change. It It doesn't change. It doesn't grow with your success. It doesn't get lessened because of your failure. Because, listen, it's not based on us. It's based on God's grace. So this morning, we bring our family history to him, all of it. Recognize that, that my past no longer defines me. My family is not my identity. I'm a child of God, and this changes everything. I mean, This is your new reality. Let this be your reality. I don't care what your your parents may have said to you. I don't care what your boss may say about you. I don't care what the teacher might say about you. I don't care what your past says about you. I don't care what your problems say about you. They all need to be quiet. God's truth needs to speak louder than all of those, that in this moment, all those other voices, that, that they're quieted so that you hear your heavenly Father rejoicing over you, delighting in you, like right now in this moment. that whatever your family heritage was or wasn't, that you have a heavenly father who loves you immensely and in Jesus Christ has reconciled you to himself. He's the one who says, listen, I'll do this. He's our hope, he's our peace in the darkest day. And he promises us, he promises us, we can put our hope in this, that the enemy will not have the last word. There is victory in Jesus. Let's sing that truth together.